0: Good morning. morning. So that was the Gallup International Survey. 50,000 people from across 60 countries were asked the question, what matters most in life? It's interesting, I think, seeing because there's a broad amount of countries involved of differing differing, um, levels of income, it's perhaps not what we would have answered. Uh, Number one, health. Number two, family. Then job, then freedom. That was the last one we guessed. I guess we take that for granted, don't we? Uh, no war, no violence or corruption, a standard of living, which we said in lots of ways, didn't we? Cars, money, etc., uh, etc. Et and then God ranked in at number eight. Um, no mention of uh, future life or eternal life or anything like that. I wonder how you would answer that question. Uh, What matters most in life? Because in the part of the Bible that we're looking at today, we find out what the God who made us thinks matters most in our lives. And we find that out in the context of the future that he has stored up for us. Now, the book of Ezekiel we've been looking at for the past nine weeks. Um, This is the last week in the book of Ezekiel. Now, um, big sigh. This is the last week in the book of Ezekiel. That's right. Uh, But it ends with a spectacular vision of what God has in store for his people Israel in the future. So turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 40 and verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 40 verse 1. We're going to spend uh, the next uh, few minutes looking at the whole vision, the last eight chapters of the book of Ezekiel. Uh, but it's an interesting little passage with lots of details, so I'm going to pray that God would just help us to concentrate and to um, understand what he has to say. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the book of Ezekiel and um, that we've been able to look at it this term in such depth, a part of the Bible that perhaps we uh, haven't spent a lot of time in before. And thank you that it's, it's so clearly confronted us um, that you need to be first and how much you detest idolatry. Father thank you that it confronted us with your sovereignty in this world and the way that you are in charge of all the nations. And Father thank you that last week and the week before we were reminded um, that you have a future planned for us where you will give your spirit and uh, that you will finally destroy your enemies. And now as we come to look at this last vision please Give us um, an excitement as we, with Ezekiel, uh, look at what you have in store for your people. And more than just excite us, Lord, please help us to see how um, this ought to change how we live now. So please help us to concentrate, um, to weigh up what I'm saying, make sure it's what the passage is saying, and please change us to make us more uh, like you. Amen. So chapter 40, verse 1, where Ezekiel writes... In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year after the fall of the city, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he took me there. Now the first thing to notice is that this is now the 25th year of exile. We've only been in the book of Ezekiel for nine weeks, but Ezekiel has been in Babylon for 25 years. It's been 14 years since that message came from, um, to Babylon from Jerusalem that announced that King Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Jerusalem. That was 14 years ago. It was only um, a few weeks ago for us, but in the book of Ezekiel, it's 14 years. And Ezekiel and the people around him have been in Babylon long enough now for their children to grow up and become adults, 25 years They will actually be in Babylon another 45 years. Uh, Perhaps they don't all know that. And so God is giving them a vision of what the future will be like so that they don't lose hope. Let's look at verse 2. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze, He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. God here gives Ezekiel another vision. That's what the book of Ezekiel has been about. Lots of visions. But straight away, this vision should remind us of the vision back in chapter 9 where God took Ezekiel to the temple on a mountain. And here there's a mountain. And in that vision also, there was a man who looked like glowing metal. That man is here too. Only this vision is quite different to the vision in chapter 9 because In chapter 9, in that vision, uh, Ezekiel saw God leave the temple. But in this vision, we're going to see God come back to the temple again, to a new temple. Let's read on and see what happens. Uh, Verse 4. The man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and pay attention to everything I am going to show you for that is why you've been bought here. Tell the house of Israel everything you see. I saw a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The length of the measuring rod in the man's hand was six cubits long, each of which was a cubit and a hand breadth. He measured the wall. It was one measuring rod thick and one rod high. Then he went out to the gate facing east. He climbed its steps and measured the threshold of the gate. It was one rod deep. Now, Owen, did I say six long cubits or six cubits long? Six cubits long. Okay, it's six long cubits because these cubits are a cubit and a handbreadth. That's a long cubit. But I keep reading six cubits long and Owen keeps correcting me. Now, as you read on, pretty much for the next eight chapters, that's what Ezekiel is about, a list of measurements. And to be honest, as you read it, if you've been reading it yourselves, you'll notice it's hard work. I forced myself to read every single sentence because I thought if I'm preaching on it I better at least read it all once and then I tried to read over it again and mind gets distracted and it was very hard work. It's not the most riveting part of the Bible. Now Ezekiel 40 and 41 may seem detailed and almost tedious to us but to Ezekiel's hearers it would have been breathtaking. I found a magazine in the back of the Collins' car a few weeks back, and it was all about 24 valve quad cam turbocharged 300 kilowatt overhead Commodore V8, on it goes. Now, to me, that's very much like Ezekiel 40, a list <laughs> of measurements. But the Collins boys' eyes nearly pop out of their sockets at that kind of thing. Now, on the other hand, tell me about the new Macintosh Pro with quad core Xeon processors and two tetra tetrabytes of hard drive space, 16 gigs RAM. Now we're talking. That's exciting, isn't it? (laughs) Now Ezekiel's hearers would have been excited by every detail of Ezekiel's vision. As he listed off the measurements of the new temple, they would have hung on every word. It would be like the car enthusiast reading the magazine article about the car that he's about to buy or the lady looking over the patterns for the new quilt that she's about to uh, embark on. The Israelites grew up with the temple at the center of their lives. Many of them back in Jerusalem 25 years ago would have made the trip every year to the temple to worship God. In fact, Psalm 27 describes their love for the temple like this. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. The temple is all about their relationship with God. They've heard the news that the temple has been destroyed and now Ezekiel is setting before them a vision of a new temple and what it will look like. And as he speaks they'll be visualising every room this is their new temple. And he's describing every detail because he wants them to get excited about it as they anticipate their future. And so he moves from the outside wall to the courtyard, to the inner courtyard, explaining all the measurements. And then in chapter 41, we hear about the temple itself. And after all that's described, we won't look at it this morning, something spectacular happens that even we who don't know much about temples can get excited about. Turn with me to chapter 43, he's described the courtyards, he's described the temple and then chapter 43 verse 1, then the man brought me to the gate facing east and I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. Remember in chapter 9, God left the temple out to the east and stayed on the mountain Here, he's coming back. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen where he came to destroy the city, and like the vision I had seen by the Kabar River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. See back in chapter 10 and eleven God saw the vision of uh, Ezekiel saw the vision of God leaving the temple, but here God is coming back to live with his people and he's not just coming back, he's coming back for good. Look at verse seven. He said, "Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet." this is where i will live among the israelites forever the house of israel will never again defile my holy name and god drums that home in the next chapter chapter 44 i turn with me to chapter 44 verse 1 verse 1 then the man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary the one facing east and it was shut The Lord said to me, This gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. That's the very gate that back in chapter 10, God left the temple through. And when God comes back, the gate will be closed and it will be never opened again. It's a symbol, a reminder of God's promise that He will never again leave his people. When God comes back next time, it's for good. That's the first four chapters of the book of Ezekiel. The temple that God will dwell in forever. The next three chapters start talking about the regulations and rules for that temple. Uh, If God is going to live among his people, then they need to live in a certain way. Uh, Look at chapter 44 verse 4. Then the man brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. I looked and saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple of the Lord and I fell face down. The Lord said to me, son of man, look carefully, listen closely and give attention to everything I tell you concerning all the regulations regarding the temple of the Lord. Give attention to the entrance of the temple and all the exits of the sanctuary. Say to the rebellious house of Israel, "This is what the sovereign Lord says: Enough of your detestable practices, O house of Israel." See the lesson's clear. If God is coming back to live amongst His people, Israel need to clean themselves up. We are uh, a few years back uh, came to holidays in Dubbo. And someone graciously lent us their house and it became a bit of a mess and uh, they came home early and we hadn't tidied it up properly Uh, but here God is coming to live with his people and they need to tidy themselves up and be ready but the the great thing this time is that God is going to help them by giving them his spirit we saw that two weeks ago didn't we the reason this time God will be able to stay in his temple forever is because God is going to give Israel new hearts so they can obey him. The point being, it's not just that God is going to rebuild the old temple that was destroyed. When God fixes things up, it's going to be for good and it's going to be better. And in fact, as he talks in the last two chapters of this vision about the land, Ezekiel describes a future which is the best possible future that God's people could have. Better than anything they would have known in the land of Israel. Uh, turn over to chapter 47 and verse 1. Seen the temple, the regulations for the temple, and then in chapter 47 and 48, he turns his uh, vision and describes what's around the temple, what's going on around it. Verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple south of the altar. There's water coming out of the temple. It's not time to call a plumber. It's not a leaky tap or a burst pipe. It's actually life-giving water that's flowing out of the temple and it's bringing life back to the land of Israel. Look down at verse 9 swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows there'll be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh so where the river flows everything will live or down at verse 12 fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river their leaves will not wither nor will their fruit fail every month they will bear Because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. See, this is a wonderful picture of prosperity. The new temple, the water of life flowing through the land, the trees of healing, it's paradise. But as good as it all sounds, the best thing in this section is not the temple or the water or the trees that bring healing, the best thing is that God is living with his people. And that's why the book of Ezekiel ends with the last verse the way it is. Look at chapter 48, verse 35, the last verse of Ezekiel. Chapter 48, verse 35. The distance all around will be 18,000 cubits. It's describing the city here. And the name of the city from that time on will be, The Lord is there. See, the new city is not going to be called Jerusalem its name is the Lord is there I wonder where this city is where is it that God lives where is it that this river flows where is it that these trees of healing are was this temple ever built are we still waiting for it Ezekiel was in Babylon for 70 years then they returned back to Israel and they built a temple. You can read about it in uh, Nehemiah and uh, Ezra but God's glory never comes and enters that temple because it's not this temple. This temple in Ezekiel's vision was never built and it's not because Ezekiel was a bad architect. It was never meant to be built. When God gave Moses plans for the tabernacle he said he commanded Moses build it according to the blueprints i've given you but there's no command in these eight chapters to build this temple it's not a temple that god wanted his people to build it's a vision of something in the future that israel can look forward to it's a vision of when israel's sin would be washed away and they'll live with god in a perfect place a perfect temple where he will never leave and where sin will not mess things up I think it's something that the Bible finds hard to put into words because it's just its so good. I mean, how do you describe a flower to someone who's blind? What lang- language can you use? How can you explain the color yellow or the color green to someone who can't see? How can you begin to explain something that's totally outside their experience? That's what the bible is doing when it is explaining the new heaven and the new earth to us for the nation of israel god compares it to a temple and says in the future you'll have a new temple and i'll live among you and it'll be far better than what you had in jerusalem but for us when god describes that exact same future he uses different language he uses language uh, that talks about a wedding he uses language that talks a little bit like sounds a little bit like the garden of eden in the last book of the bible john has a vision similar to ezekiel of the new heaven and the new earth but it's written to christians and it uses these pictures that are more familiar than a temple so let's leave ezekiel and turn to revelation 21 last book of the bible now the dwelling of god is with men and he'll live with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe every tear from their eye there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said i'm making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true now there's something to get excited about different images but the same future that ezekiel was describing and like ezekiel's vision what matters most is not the city itself as good as that is it's not the new heaven and the new earth as good as that is but what matters most is what the loud voice cries out there in verse 3 now the dwelling of god is with men same as the last verse of ezekiel or look at revelation 22 verse 1 then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of god and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. See, in this vision, there's Ezekiel's river, there's Ezekiel's trees. But notice again, the best thing's not the river or the trees, it's that God will be there and we will see him face to face. There'll be no more curse. I wonder what would have been the best thing about being in the Garden of Eden. I don't think the best thing about the garden of eden was the trees good as they were or the animals as good as they were or having a perfect relationship with your husband or wife good as that would have been the best thing about the garden of eden would have been walking around the garden in the cool of the evening with god that's what we've been missing i said no it's not really necessary i just enjoyed meeting you i enjoyed being in your country your hospitality's been wonderful i enjoyed playing golf a gift is not necessary But he said, no, I insist. I'll be very disappointed if you don't allow me to give you a a gift. So Palmer thought about it. He was a golfer. So he said, righto, how about a golf club? That'll be a nice little memento each time I play golf. I can use the golf club you've given me. So the king said, fine. And the following day, he delivered to Mr. Palmer's hotel a piece of paper, which was the title to a golf club. 36-hole golf club. Trees. Trees lakes, buildings, an entire golf club. The moral of the story, when you're in the presence of a powerful king, don't ask for small gifts. What's the one thing you'd like to ask King Jesus for? One thing. If Jesus came to you right now and said, what do you want from me more than anything else? What matters most? what would your answer be? As good as chocolate is, we can do better than asking for a heaven full of chocolate. As good as rugby is, we can do better than a a heaven where people play rugby. As good as it would be to have a perfect relationship with your husband or wife or your mum or dad where you both love each other perfectly and you respect each other, we can do better than that. As good as all those things are, life is empty if that's all we have. God has planned for us the best possible future where we live with him in his new creation. Where we will be his people and he will be our God. How does that mean we should live now? Pop that verse up, Cameron. Ezekiel 43.10. Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider the plan. And if they are ashamed of all they've done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits, its entrances, its whole design, its regulations and laws. Write these things down before them so they may be faithful to its design and follow its regulations. Verse 10 says... Show Israel the future so they'll be ashamed of their sin. And then after you've shown them the temple and made them ashamed of of their sin, show them the temple again so that they start to change the way they live. See, if living in the presence of God is what matters most to us above all things, to be with God, then we'll be ashamed of our sin and we will start living lives for God right now. That's exactly what the New Testament says. In fact, the same John who wrote Revelation and gave the vision of heaven, listen to what he says in one of his letters. The next one, Cameron. 1 John 3 verse 2. Dear friends, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him, in Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. See, if you really have this hope for the future, then you will change your life now. If when God returns, he will do away with sin, if there'll be no sin in the new creation, then we will want to get rid of that now. If living in the presence of God is what really matters above all other things, then we will want to start that now. We'll be ashamed of our sin now. And we'll want want to start to live a life that reflects that new creation. And if you believe that the best part of the new creation is relationship with God, then you will be working on your relationship with God now. That will be what matters most now. Greg's has got to come and pray for us